Hi, this is Jay Aruga of the Jay Aruga Show. Our podcast is growing. We now have the jayarugashow.com newsletter. If you haven't subscribed to that yet, hit pause, go to the jayarugashow.com, subscribe, check your email, then hit confirm. I'll send you a free ebook for your effort. Also, in case you don't know, we now have a YouTube channel. Just search the Jay Aruga Show in YouTube. I'd appreciate if you subscribe and share the stuff in there too. In this culture war, we need all the help we can get to take back the culture. And now, on to the show. Thinking Critical is a YouTube channel that talks about one of my favorite pop culture media, comic books. We chat with its creator, Wes, on the state of the comic book industry right now, which seems to be overrun by activists. Welcome to The Jay Aruga Show! Hey everybody, welcome to the Jay Aruga Show. We have a very special guest today. He's a comic book industry commentator in YouTube. He does comic book reviews. <laughs> he commanded satellites like Magneto, worked inside the mountain, a mountain like the Thunderbolts, and served in the Afghan war. He's been to Afghanistan like Tony Stark. So our guest is a real live superhero. Ladies and gentlemen, Wes of the YouTube channel, Thinking Critical. Wes, how are you? I'm doing, I'm doing fantastic. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. We were supposed to do this a while ago, but uh, I'm glad we're finally getting to do it now. But it's fine. I, I saw you had a baby last year, and you might be very busy with that. Absolutely. I have yeah. I have three children, a six-year-old, mm. a two-year-old, and a four-month-old now. So life is very busy. Congratulations. Thank you. I've been a long-time follower of your YouTube channel. So I was watching back then when you're still not showing your face in the camera and you're mostly doing reviews. Yeah, so I, I, I started out, I only showed my face if I did live streams. Otherwise, uh, mm-hmm. it was just pictures and everything. But I don't know. Might as well put I it haven't out there, heard, right? Yeah, I haven't heard your story that much. And maybe you could walk us through your origin story. How did you end up serving the military to doing comic book commentaries? Oh, that's okay. Well, I was uh, I was in a little a small town in the United States, and uh, mm. I don't know things were not good in, in the home life. I could see things were a little bit off. So when I was mm. seventeen, I actually signed up for the for the Air Force. I knew mm. I needed to to get to doing something because uh, I didn't want to be there anymore. And uh, so I just happened to, I got lucky. I ended up picking space operations. So as you mentioned earlier, I worked in Cheyenne Mountain. I moved satellites. I uh, I was a space mm. systems operator. I worked on GPS satellites and uh, I tracked satellites and did a bunch of stuff like that um, mm. for, for about five years. And then I, I wanted to, to do something else. So I ended up cross-training in intelligence. I ended up just kind of traveling the world. Ended up doing about a year in Afghanistan. I ended up in uh, mm. Korea, and then uh, mm. that's when I met my wife. So mm. once I retired from the military, I ended up here in the Philippines. But along the way, while I was in the military, I'm more—I was always more of a movie guy. 
I didn't really read comic books oh, when I was young. Read. But mm-hmm. in the military, there's a lot of comic book readers, and they're always bringing up, uh, you know, the stories, bringing in comics and stuff. So I would kind of page mm-hmm. through them or whatnot. And then um, as I was getting into like the MCU and some of the comic book movies, I would, you know, I was mm-hmm. reading up on them and realizing that they are all kind of based on comic book stories. So I started kind of getting into them that way, and then um, I don't know, it just kind of grew from there. Oh, cool, cool. And you started your YouTube channel after that, yeah, doing reviews. Because I retired from the military in the United States. Uh-huh. Obviously, my wife and my our, our first son was was were still here in the in the Philippines. So I um, decided we decided I was going to retire here permanently. And after a few months of being here, you know, I was reading comics or whatever. I was like, I need something to do. I don't want to, <laughs> you know, I'm only 39 at the time, which is a really uh-huh. young. Age to be fully retired. To retire. That's the dream. (laughs) Oh, being a stay-at-home dad is the dream. So it was all part of it. I wanted to do something else. And uh, so I asked my wife, I was like, would you mind if I just started a YouTube channel? I "I just want to talk to these comic books that I'm reading. I'm just going to do reviews. It it won't take up much time. Mm. And then, uh, and you touched about six you months. You realized I was full of it. <laughs> you you, <laughs> you touched it a bit. You mentioned you're in the Philippines, and mm-hmm. I'm not sure for those who don't know you, you're based uh, here in the Philippines. Your wife is a Filipina, I guess. Yes. Yep. All right. Uh, I met Good her. Choice of uh, a country. I met her when <laughs> I was in Korea. She's actually never been to Korea. We we met kind of online, and then. Uh, I would come down here hmm. on vacation. I end up meeting her family, and we we would take uh, trips and things like that. And then uh, obviously we, we we were engaged and all that stuff. And when I went back to the states, because getting married to a to a foreign national in Korea is really difficult. Hmm. It's like a hmm. year, year and a half long really? process just to do the paperwork for the United States to let you do it. Because there are so many young men hmm. in Korea that that. Uh, I ended up getting married there and it, it doesn't work out. So I had already started the paperwork, but we couldn't get it done at the time. So I had to redo the paperwork in Texas, which is much faster. But then I, I came back here and we got married then. So cool. it's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Wes, I came across your channel accidentally. I was trying to find a comic book review site and, and YouTubers. And most of them... I find I find it to be a little left leaning. Oh, there's a storm there. Sorry. There's a little a bit thunder. of a thunderstorm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So so as I was saying, most of the review sites I find are left leaning, like CBR, and mm-hmm. I listen to iFanboy. There they they seem to be a bit left leaning, and I'm not aware of Comicsgate back then. So I thought, okay, seems like everyone was into comics by all these uh, social justice warrior nonsense until for some reason the powers that be in YouTube algorithm recommended your channel to my feed and I saw your interview with Timothy Lim and oh, I yeah, learned I loved it. from there that you're, you're based in the Philippines and you guys talk a lot of sense and it's about like Asians being discriminated in the industry. So mm-hmm. that's when I started contacting you. So that's last year. <laughs> it's crazy. You know, Tim's parents, while they're both Chinese, when they met each other, it was in the Philippines. 
Oh. <laughs> so the Philippines yeah. is really a hot spot. And we have a lot of comic book uh, artists here. Absolutely. Right now. Absolutely. A lot of ton so, of great artists. You know, obviously, Wills Portasio, Steven Segovia. Mm-hmm. Uh, the list goes on and on about the, uh, the amount yeah, of yeah. great artists. Dexter Soy. There's a ton of great artists mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. All right. Speaking about this, about, do you have yep. comic book artists that, yep. that listen to this podcast? I, I am a member of a comic book site. And I know people in the industry, not in the industry, but I know people who know artists in the industry. So I okay. uh, interviewed a guy. And if you're interested, I, I could hook you up. No, no. I know a guy. <laughs> you would know who oh, I'm really? talking about. I don't want to mention their name on here because uh, like, they haven't hired me to do this, oh, okay. but they did reach out to me. And they're like, hey, Wes, I'm looking for comic book artists. You know, they, they gave you their page rate. It's, it's pretty good. It's like industry standard and all that stuff. So if there's any great mm-hmm. artists out there in the Philippines, if you're listening to this podcast, you're looking for an opportunity for regular work, like with somebody that's worked in the industry and has a lot of big plans, you can reach out mm. to me on my email, uh, westdigscomics at gmail.com, and I will get you in touch with them because they are they have so many plans right now, they can't find enough artists to actually do all the work. So there's wow. good paying gigs right now if there's any comic book artists that, that are looking for. Wow. I, yeah, I, I'll, share, I'll share this to comic book uh, Facebook pages here in the country. Absolutely. All right, uh, before we talk about everything wrong in the comic book industry right now <laughs> what's in your reading list these days Wes? well you know um i'm pretty frustrated right now with the with marvel and dc there's a couple of books there that i do like i think mm. uh daredevil specifically at marvel has been fantastic i think it's on issue is it 32 or 33 right now with with chip Zdarsky and marco Chichetto. that one's been really a solid uh run it's it it's gone down a little bit Electra? lately is, it, is that, that one with Electra? The one with the yes, Electra has kind of taken mm. over as Daredevil when he went oh, into okay. prison, but she's mm. kind of manipulating. So that was an interesting story. I've enjoyed that. Over on DC, mm. the one book that I think has been really, really good has been Robin. I like mm. Damian Wayne a lot because um, he's such a flawed character, and he's got yeah, such an yeah. interesting, distinct personality. And I think Joshua Williamson, the writer there. And Gleb Melnikoff, mm. the artist, are really knocking it out of the park with that one. I also like Mortal Kombat. <laughs> I remember playing that, you know, in the arcades as a kid. It's essentially a Mortal Kombat tur- tournament right now. So I like that's those right. Books. That's right. I, mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, I, I still love Mortal Kombat. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of cool stuff was, like on the indie scene that that's ended mm. recently. Did you read Stray Dogs? No, I, 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 I think it's I, Pony not- Fleeks. I'm not sure, I'm not much into indie, uh, but maybe you could recommend later some indie yeah. books that that are really good. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite arc of all time? My favorite story arc. ever is actually Valiant yeah. Comics. It's mm. a it's contained in two books. It's it's a there's the first nine issues are mm. uh, Matt Kent and Rye. It's Rye number one, mm. I think through nine or it's one through eight. Actually, it's one through eight. My bad. And then he does a an event series called 4001 AD, which is the time frame that Rai is sent in and essentially finishes that story. So it ends up being a 12-issue story arc. And it's fantastic because mm. as a kid, I always loved swords. I was always really big into swords when my, my uncle was actually, he was in the army. I guess he was in Germany. And he came back home. And like when I was little, you didn't really own a VCR. Those were really expensive. 
Like if you wanted to watch movies, you had to go like rent a VCR at the grocery store and you bring it back with like five movies or whatever. But he showed up at our house and he had a VCR. It was the coolest thing, you know, oh. at the time I'd ever seen. And he had like a <laughs> Conan the Barbarian, Sword and the Sorcerer, yeah. Excalibur, and like every movie he had with him, like had a really cool mm. sword in it. So I've just always really been into swords. And, uh, you know, obviously Raya is kind of a cyborg, not a cyborg, but he's more like a cybernetic <laughs> samurai, like protector of New Japan, which is a like a colony of like that are orbiting the Earth on a satellite. Mm. It's really, really good. It's got like really cool hints of like 1984 in the Matrix, which is like I'll things pick that are absolutely up. I'll, I'll pick that up. I, I, I haven't heard that title yet. And these days you can buy your comic book digitally uh anytime and, and read the stories yeah so that's yeah, they, good about yeah value will do um those humble bundles where if you you know it's for a mm. real cheap price and you get almost their entire library or if you have comiXology oh. like the entire valiant yes, like, I, I, library yeah. as is on comiXology unlimited so you wouldn't even need to pay uh-huh. for it yeah that nice. was fantastic and, there's and another to the, one to the listeners yeah to the listeners uh I got Wes in my show and we're heavily geeking out <laughs> right now. So <laughs> please forgive us. I'm an X-Men fan since the 90s and, and Batman fan as well since the Adam West reruns in the 80s. So those two are my favorite franchises when I became an adult and started earning. So I was very sad when, when the X-Men was neglected by Marvel for a very long time because the X-Men yeah. was big in the 90s. And they got a lot of failed revivals. But the House of X, Powers of 10, last maybe two years ago. Is that two years ago? Mm-hmm. It's yeah. really good. Yeah, they, they did a good job of bringing back the interest back to the mutants. And I don't think I missed an X-Men book since the relaunch. But the momentum got lost since then. And you're the first one that said that pointed out that Jonathan Hickman, the, the, the writer of uh, House of X, Parts of Ten, has left the building. And I've been telling people in the comic book Facebook pages, guys, Hickman seems to be MIA for a very long time. Then they say, nah, he's still the architect. So what's your take on this? And when did you start to realize that Hickman isn't there anymore? Well, so House of X, Powers of Ten is is uh, like a force of nature. You go in and you read those books, and you're excited for the new age of X Men. It's completely different than what yeah. they've done before. Like they were mm. they were kind of turning X Men like on a 180, kind of on its head, and a, a different portrayal of what mutants can be with Krakoa Kr- and everything. And it felt like, oh my goodness, this is going to be great. They started out, they announced way too many series. And when they announced the initial series, they also announced that there were going to be two more waves of new titles coming out. So mm-hmm. then you get a little bit hesitant. And you're like, why are there so many books already? But if you go in and specifically mm-hmm. read Jonathan Hickman's X-Men, and obviously he was the writer of the flagship book. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the first issue is, is interesting. Okay, they're talking about the family dynamics of the like the, mm-hmm. the, the Summers family. You're getting a little bit of what they're talking about, House of X, Power of Ten. You get into the second issue – they do address the Araco Krakoa stuff that was certainly in that book. Yep. Yep. But once you get past like issue five or six, it just goes completely off the reservation and it doesn't read like Jonathan Hickman writing anymore. Jonathan Hickman has a specific mm. style 
of the way he builds things. Mm-hmm. And a lot mm-hmm. of people have um, criticism that maybe he's not the most uh, successful creator when it comes to building characters and stuff like that. But because he's so focused on building worlds and laying these foundations mm-hmm. and then kind of building them up and then executing, like you, you kind of know what he reads like. And you could just tell specifically like leading up to that empire event. Like there's no way he wrote. Oh those yeah. Books. That's yeah. Yeah. That's really bad. It, it, it kind of derailed the momentum when they put in empire there. Like, yeah. And then um, you need to do it. Right. You get into that 10 of swords event, which certainly touches on parts of, of house of X powers of 10. One of the mysteries in there is the original four horsemen of apocalypse. But they, it's interspersed yes, with, yes. with this other story that's going on that's like more, I don't even, it's jibberty, it's gobbledygook. It's, <laughs> it was really nothing. And there were a couple yeah, of issues it, there. You're like, yeah, that's Hickman. But after that, it's not Hickman anymore. Like you can yeah, tell yeah, when he's yeah, writing yeah. when he's not. And, and Ten of Swords, is, is, it's, it seems like it's kind of a joke. There are like yes. contests there that are really... Like, what is this? It's like, like who's uh, going to kill the puppy first? And we're in a staring contest, and another character's yeah. going to hump a rock. It's, it's like, unreal. I'm, I'm supposed to take this seriously. This event, you know, is like 14 issues, you know, well over mm. $50 US if you're buying them in the US. If you're here in the Manila, mm. in, Man- or in the Philippines, if you're buying from Manila, every comic book mm. is immediately 20% more in US dollars. Uh, it yeah. gets really expensive. Yeah, yeah. X Factor is the worst title of the bunch. And it's basically yeah. propaganda. <laughs> I, I, when I read it, uh, the first issue, the first thing the characters did is to announce what box of the intersectionality checklist they're taking off. Like Prodigy, Prodigy said, I'm bisexual. Then Dagan said, I'm bisexual too. So it's very poor writing. Not oh, yeah. saying that there shouldn't be gays in comics, but I I always said that like Peter David in the old X Factor sets up, in my opinion, Richter and Shatterstar better, and it's it doesn't feel like there's propaganda there. Yeah, X Factor is a, a weird book. I'm I'm glad it's over. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like it's the the book is seriously driven by interpersonal conflict which is fine you know you should have conflict mm. within a team book but it's mm. written like it's kardashian style where yeah, it, there's yeah. nothing it doesn't feel organic they're just arguing because the the writer wants them to argue rather than building something up and then you have natural like kind of uh, oh yeah conflict within the creators and, and you're right when they're starting to announce whatever um you know groups that they belong to you know, and they're they're kind of categorizing themselves. It doesn't come out naturally within the flow of conversation. Like you, if you and I were talking like that, th- those things wouldn't come <laughs> out like that. You know what I mean? I, I know. Yeah, I know. I know. And, and there's one panel. There's there's two women kissing uh, at the back. I, I'm not sure if you remember this. There, there there are two women kissing at the back, and they just need to announce it in the. It's very it's very obvious already. In the drawing that there are two women kissing, but they need to announce it in the in the dialogue. We don't not we don't want to 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 disturb the two lesbians kissing there. <laughs> so, so it's yeah, very it's, poor it's, writing. 
it's so weird. Like no one would ever speak like that. You know, and you know, comic books are supposed to be over the top, but there's a point where you go so far over the top. It's like, I get what you're doing here. You know, uh, I have no problems with LGBTQ plus uh, representation within comic books. It's been there forever. You know, in fact, yeah, I, w- I would yeah. say, you know, we probably need more of that within comic books, but it needs to be told like realistically, like to where it doesn't yeah. make the characters annoying or the story like, like, I can't even read this because it's, you know, I'm no longer reading the story. I'm reading like a propaganda pamphlet. Yeah, I'm on the school of thought that when it comes to art, the art or the story should come first before your politics. And I don't mind any political views that are opposite mine. As long as you put a good art, a good story, I could appreciate that. But lately in many media, the politics comes first, then the art second. And another example is in Marauders, issue 10. Emma just beat a band of Russians. Then Emma put a thought in the Russians. When you wake up, you'll have nothing but warm thoughts on mutants. But it didn't stop there. Emma, Emma moved further and said, and any humans who are oppressed, minority, gays, disabled, trans. And it's kind of out of character because Krakow is just for me. Why would Emma care about that? Emma, but yeah. what, why would Emma care about that, right? So yeah, it's, it's so like a fascist nationalist state of Krakow. Why would she care about those things? She should only care about mutants. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I don't get it when they say they make characters black, gay, or Filipino so that readers can relate to them. Wave is a big deal here in the Philippines. She's Filipina, but you'd think Filipino mm-hmm. will follow her journey because she's relatable for being Filipina. But I I, I, I don't read Wave that lo- uh, a lot, but I can relate to Spider-Man, Peter Parker, and it doesn't matter if he's Filipino or not, but his struggles for for being like like in school for being financially like not well off that's very re- relatable it doesn't matter what the color of his skin is so sometimes writers forget to focus on just making a good story well i mean identity politics is are taking over everything it's it's well i don't know about so much as here in the philippines but certainly in western culture that's the primary focus of all these things. And that's really where you see the, the problem with modern comic writing is most of the time, uh, you know, you have the character and you have the story that serves the character. And then these other uh, parts that you want to put in there, if you want to put some type of social commentary, you bend it in and you make it fit within the story. Now they take the yep. character and they bend the character and break the character to the, to the will of the, of the writer. And what he's actually trying yeah. to say, whether it fits the character or not. And that's why, you know, mm. uh, it doesn't feel right. It feels odd because you've, if you've had a relationship with these characters for decades now, you know mm. when, you know, what's going to make them conflicted. How are they going to react to some of these situations? And when that's 180, it, it takes you right out of the story. And you're right about relating to a character like, Peter Parker is the, one of the most relatable characters in the entire, in, in all comics, if not the most relatable. I say it's Nightwing, but, you know, I'm more of a DC guy, but Peter Parker, okay. you know, we've all been teenagers. <laughs> we've all been awkward. We've all yeah. made mistakes. We've all felt guilty. and We've all tried to become better about it. 
and grown up and, and, and uh, you know, lived our lives and, and all these things. And so he's so relatable in the fact that he feels a burden about the responsibility that he holds and he doesn't want to let people down, but he's constantly put in positions where unfortunately he does let people down. He's, he's flawed in that manner, just like mm. you or I. And I think that's why everybody, yeah. regardless of, of race, religion, gender, uh, ethnicity, can all really relate to that character because we've all been put in that position, no matter what class we're in. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're just talking about Marvel. Does DC fare any better? <laughs> and by the way, before well, we proceed, before we proceed, anything that excites you in the previous DC fandom? Have you seen the trailers? Well, I mean, they have that Super Sons animated movie. I love Super mm -hmm. Sons. John Kent as like 10-year-old John Kent and 13-year-old Damian mm -hmm. Wayne. I already talked about Damian earlier. Together, mm -hmm. we're, we're absolutely dynamite because they really played off each other's strengths and weaknesses uh, to where they were both, we were getting significant character growth between both. And that's, you know, at that time in the lives, you would expect that kind of thing. I think that was really mm -hmm. exciting. But as far as mm -hmm. the comic book stuff, you know, they, they took out uh, the American way and the Superman's motto. It's no longer truth, justice, the American way. Oh, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. Truth, yeah. justice, mm -hmm. and a better tomorrow. I know everyone's excited about that Batman trailer. Batman in, in the seven universe is really interesting. We shall see. Um, it, mm. it certainly looks pretty good, but I think for the most part, it felt like, um, you know, with the flash stuff, a lot of it felt like a big mm. flop to mm. me, mm. but there are certainly yep. some highlights. I, I will be there for that, that super sons animated movie. I'll be watching it with my kids. It'll be great. All right. The, the rumor before in DC is the 5g launch and maybe it's their vision. It's the same as maybe it's like the all new, all different version. Uh, because Marvel have that before, right? Mm -hmm. The all new, all different uh, Marvel, and and DC is was uh, supposed to do the five G launch, but they seem to repackage it to future state. What happened here? Well, what happened was five G was Dan Didio, the former uh, publisher. At DC Comics. So mm. at Marvel, like the head person is the editor in chief. At DC, it's always been the publisher. And he was he was essentially mm. the co-publisher with Jim Lee, but he was also like the chief creative officer. And he wanted mm. to like really streamline DC continuity. They've tried to do this over and over. It never works. And his idea was we were going to jump ahead at, into the future of DC, the DC universe with this Generation 5 event that was going to last mm. quite a bit of time. And then we were going to go back to where we where we were before. But um, as that was get the ball was rolling on that, there were some issues with Dan Didio within DC Comics that I guess went up to uh, like Warner Media, who owns DC Comics underneath the AT&T mm -hmm. umbrella, where there were some HR issues with uh -huh. Dan Didio. And I don't think the performance at DC was very good. So he got fired abruptly. Well, they had all this mm -hmm. stuff that was going to be 5G. So they repackaged it as future state because they had to get something mm. out. They'd already paid the artist. They'd already written some stuff. So mm. they, mm. they changed it. They were like, okay, mm. well, it'll be like a two or three month event and then we'll get back. But mm. what's been weird is as we've gotten back, we're just moving towards future mm. state. And as you mentioned, the all new, all different yeah. in Marvel, where they essentially changed out all the heroes with new, more um, gender and, and ethnically diverse characters. Or, or a lot of the mm. uh, sexual orientation changes and things like that where they removed, uh, you know, 
essentially everybody but Peter Parker as the main hero. So, you know, Tony Stark <laughs> was gone um, and, and all that kind of stuff. Yes, They're doing yes. the same thing with DC. Bruce Wayne's going to yeah. leave Gotham. So Jace Fox will be the new Batman. Superman has already mm. left Earth. He's going to War World. So John Kent is going to be mm. the new Superman. Well, he you say, well, he's not diverse. Well, now he's the LGBTQ. Mm. He just came out this week. Yeah. We're having yep, yep. Arthur Curry, the Aquaman, is giving up to become a stay-at-home dad. Nothing wrong with that. That's what I mm. do. Mm. And mm. Jackson Hyde is replacing him, you know, a LGBTQ plus a black character. Mm. And yep. so they're they've essentially re- yep. shaped, you know, uh, moved out the the old Justice League and replaced them all. Hmm. It's crazy. Yeah, I, I I saw your video and we, we talked about you just mentioned Superman. John Kent came out gay. And Tom Taylor said he's going to fight climate change. So a few months ago, we have Robin as well, who came out mm-hmm. bisexual. Not, not only does DC promote the LGBT agenda, Nightwing is now also a socialist. There seems to be this trend now that yes. they, they're serving. I'm not sure who's, who they're serving. Do the fans love this or... Well, certainly long-time DC fans who look for a hopeful universe that want the the characters that they've been reading for decades are not being served by this because they're doing wholesale changes Mm -hmm. and they're certainly um, presenting a new agenda that is very much propping up modern-day, you know, um, you know, identity Mm -hmm. politics, uh, social activism, and things like that, and they're putting them into their characters. You mentioned Nightwing. You mentioned uh, mm. John Kent. Certainly, John Kent has talked to Damian Wayne, and he's all behind it too. And and um, mm. there's stuff, definitely part of this this push within entertainment that we've been seeing probably for the last you know decade as it's gotten progressively ramped up to where um, everything mm. has to have a social agenda that's far beyond entertainment first, and that's uh, I think why we're seeing a lot of degradation. And they say finally, Superman would now be able to put Lex Luthor behind bars when he commits the most heinous of all heinous crimes, and that is hate speech. That's a fucking issue, won't it? It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. So I, I saw Ethan Van Skyver's interview on The Daily Wire. He's saying that the comic book sales are at an all-time low. And when I posted this on my page, there are some pushbacks. They say comic book sales at are are at an all-time high on 2021 and they showed That's this true. graph of a yearly mm-hmm. increase in comic book sales what's the real deal here you see from a comic book uh aficionado standpoint we see titles being canceled every here and there so it doesn't feel like it if you're a comic book reader so th- this is interesting um within the america you see north american comic sales within that chart mm. and what they're, they're doing is they're slowly, slowly adding stuff to it. <laughs> so <laughs> what the, the, the chart that you're seeing and the sales that you're seeing in for 2020, that are the record sales mm. and the, the sales you're seeing in 2015, they're actually mm. different like categories because they've added things in there. You know, obviously mm. they've added manga, uh, YA graphic novels. They've even started adding the, the crowdfunding stuff into those numbers mm. and what's interesting is we are seeing record sales within north america for comic books 
but they're mm. not DC. They're not Marvel. It's manga. Mm. There's been this mm. huge mm. influx of manga into North America. Certainly, it's always been there, but you know, we got a lot of the anime stuff. You see it on Netflix. And the cool thing about mm. like anime and manga is they're really seamless. If you watch a season of of anime, like you can go into the manga mm. that's associated with it and keep keep the story going. And manga is just mm. red hot and it's really breaking records and the, the the sales growth there is is almost staggering. Whereas we have actually seen some decreases across the board within comic books. Now that would to be was to be expected because of the pandemic shutdown. But what mm. what we've seen from comic books as far as like Marvel, DC, Image even, um, mm. is they've had to do a lot of gimmick marketing since they've come back from the pandemic to make up for, mm. for the lost readers that they have. So the best way to up your sales on a book is to sell the book to the same person multiple times. Mm. So mm. DC used to, they would have two covers on all their comic books, an A cover and a B cover, unless it was an issue one or a milestone. Otherwise, yep. there were yep. there were no extra variants. There are, there are ratio variants on every single issue of Batman now, the best selling comic in the mm. industry. If you look at mm. Marvel, there's mm. ratio variants on all of those, and obviously those ratio mm. variants, which are more um, the more rare comic book covers, because you have to sell so many, or you have to the shop has to buy so many copies. Let's say it's a one in twenty five. Mm. That means for every twenty five issues of the comic you buy, you mm. get the one copy mm. of the ratio mm. variant. One in fifty. Obviously, it's 50 issues. Now, they have ratio variants upwards of 1 in 1,000, where if you buy 1,000 of these comics, you get a ratio variant. And what they're doing, which is really smart, like an image with King Spawn number one, you see the sales on that thing. You're like 500,000. That's a really good number. But mm. there's a 1 in mm. 250 ratio variant where the CGC, the, the standard and grading service, went there and they witnessed Todd McFarlane autograph 1500 comic books because they were reading that <laughs> one in 250 uh -huh. ratio variant because people were buying it uh -huh. so they could sell the autographed Todd McFarlane cover. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. So you and, probably have 400,000 comic comic books that were bought that won't be sold to actual customers. Ow. The, the, the comic book industry is <laughs> very in a mess right now. How, how do you think the comic book industry would take up from all of this? Has it ever been in a mess worse than this before? Is indie the way moving forward? And you kind of touched on indie. Uh, are there mm -hmm. very good indie titles right now that you could well, there's recommend? Some, there's some really good indie stuff there. It's an interesting question. I believe in the 80s, DC did like a really big expansion of their line and they had this huge winter storm that almost put them out of business because they, yeah. they had printed all these comics. They couldn't sell them and they had to like scale hmm. back. That was really bad. Obviously we had the nineties boom, the speculator boom that almost ended the industry. We ended up getting Marvel um, going into bankruptcy, which is why they had to sell off the movie and TV rights to Spider-Man, oh, yeah. the X-Men, right. Fantastic Four. And all those things to kind of keep themselves afloat. So there have definitely been hard times. But if you look mm -hmm. at what DC and, and Marvel are having to do, they're really increasing the cover price really fast. We're seeing a lot of regular oh, yeah. DC comics yep, that are $6. That. Like regular yeah. comic books that are $6, six yeah. um, and stuff like that. So yeah. they are eventually going to price themselves out of the market. You know what I mean? You know, yeah. No one's going to pay $10 I, I, for yeah, a 40-page comic. I, I, 
I I was thinking that they they they'd like uh course correct if they're like failing at some point on sailing, but it doesn't seem like that. They seem to double down on whatever gimmick they're doing. So the thing you have to remember is obviously DC Comics is part of Warner Brothers and Warner Media, which is a part of AT&T, which is a it's about to go and be part of Discovery, this huge streaming platform. Warner Media and Discovery. Mm. DC is a little bitty speck as far as their revenue goes. If DC doesn't make mm. a lot of money, or even if they did increase revenues, they wouldn't notice it. It doesn't really matter. As long as they don't lose money, and I've had no uh, feedback behind mm. the scenes that they are, then everything's fine. And you look over at Marvel, it's the same thing. Disney mm. is an enormous uh, you know, company. They make lots of money off Marvel movies, Marvel Mm -hmm. Uh, streaming marvel tv shows and marvel merchandise the comic books even if they like quadrupled revenue in one year they wouldn't notice it because the the industry has Mm. become so small and shrunk down and that's why they you know eventually you know if it gets so bad that they're losing money they'll just license it out likely or you know maybe they'll just print back issues they've done stuff like that before mm-hmm. so i think mm-hmm. you are right i think indie comics are the wave of the future and we're seeing a huge mm-hmm. intake uh, uptick as far as indie sales uh mm-hmm. before the pandemic or like 3 years ago when saga quit there were only two indie titles that were able to ship over 30,000 copies when saga returns mm-hmm. they just announced that that's coming back off a hiatus after 3 years just the, the last time they reported sales, there were 11 of them in there. And one of them was at 450,000. Mm. And that's, you know, mm. the, the number of high selling indie comics is rising, rising, rising. If you look at mm. the amount of money that's going into Indiegogo and Kickstarter that are backing mm. indie comic projects, uh, the pool is getting bigger and bigger and bigger as far mm. as the revenue that's being raised and the amount of projects that are being funded. And then we have things like Substack. We've got uh, opportunities out there with with Patreon mm-hmm. or whatever. You don't need DC or Marvel anymore to be successful. And in mm-hmm. fact, with the advent of movies and streaming and the amount of money that people are making or not making, you know, maybe you wrote uh, mm-hmm. Captain America: The Winter Soldier story, or Ed Brubaker. They make the movie; it makes a billion dollars, and you get a check for fifteen hundred dollars. Oh. Oh. Not really worth it. Why would you want to go over there when you could go to Image and create your criminal universe? Or something like that. That's going to be absolutely right, right, ready right. made for streaming, right? And I see big named uh, writers right now uh, moving to indie. Uh, Scott Snyder, uh, James Tynion is is he going to indie as well? James Tynion quit Batman to do Substack. Yeah, yeah. Jonathan yeah. Hickman left X Men to do Substack. Nick Nick Spencer left Spider Man to do Substack. Those are the three biggest, highest-selling franchises yeah. in comic books. All the writers left within a span of a month. Mm. That tells mm. you everything you need to know about, at least the way the creators are seeing it. Yep. Wes, we've come to the end of the episode. Thanks for accepting my invite. I had a, I had a lot of fun talking to you about comics. The industry, the, 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 thing, the industry that we love, comic books. And I hope we got to uh, talk again soon after this and I'm glad to have met you and please invite them to your channel and your social media 
Absolutely. I want to say thank you very much to Jay for inviting me on. I love talking about this geek stuff. I do it all the time, obviously, on my YouTube channel. It's called Thinking Critical. I also have a podcast where I, I broadcast a lot of the information that's there. Like if you want to listen into car rides, I know if you're in the Philippines, you might be yes. in a car ride for a while. If you're in Manila, you can download the podcast, listen to it there. That one's Thinking Critical Copy Book Podcast uh, as well there. So uh, a couple of places that you can you can uh, check out the the, the content it's mostly comic books but i do wade into pop culture and some culture issues all right this has been another episode of the jr show at the end of the day it will be night goodbye <laughs> <laughs>